Hi everyone, I'm Ian Wright. Make sure you check out my podcast, Wright's House, every Wednesday on Ringer FC. Each week, I'm joined by a rotating panel guest to talk about football, life, films, everything. Search for Ringer FC on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Take it easy. What's up, everybody? We back. R2C2, another week. What's good, guys? What's up, man? I, um, you know, I almost just didn't pick up my mic. I was, like, about to just start <laughs> doing the pod with the mic laying on the desk. Um, you could still still see my, my suit just, like, thrown on my bed. Uh, from, <laughs> from last night? From last night, yeah. In Detroit, calling that Yanks Tigers. That was a long game, bro. Yes, it was. See, yes, it was. With not a lot of hits, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like no action. Nope, nope. <laughs> it's a lot of singles. A lot of singles. I mean, it was uh, the only hits there were were singles. There was, I think, ten hits in the game. They were all singles. Uh, um, it was, uh, it was interesting. But you know what? It gives us an interesting topic to dive into off the top of the pod today because. Obviously, you know, there's things uh, when you and I just talk, especially where we, we dive into and react to, you know, current things. And then there's also some things that I think are, you know, spurred by what's happening now, but they're sort of timeless, evergreen topics that I find interesting. And I find your perspective so interesting. And for me, I was just wondering, like, I don't think we've ever really talked about pitching in that kind of cold or or, or just playing in that kind of cold. And, you know, last night in Detroit, I could tell you being on the field before the game, even being in the booth during the game with the windows closed. It was freezing. Never mind being on the field for four hours playing that game. It was 38 degrees, mm. and it felt like, I think, around 29 or 30, you know, in those later innings. There was up to 19-mile-an-hour winds. Mm. I mean, see, you played in two places where you would have occasional games like that, right? In Not April. occasional, a whole month. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what? What? what's the first things you think of that are, you know— like, man, this is what you're dealing with when you're dealing with that weather that they were last night. I was just laying in the bed just thinking, I'm glad I'm retired. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I bet you were. But it's, yeah. I mean, I, I got used to, to that weather, to be honest. Um, obviously, it's harder to throw hard in that weather, um, but you don't have to be as perfect. Why you know is it saying? harder to throw hard in that it's weather? It's just hard to stay loose. It's hard to get sweat. It's hard to like get a sweat going. It's hard to get your body going. You you got layers on. You know, you got tights on. You got, you know, probably two pairs of socks, probably two shirts underneath. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then Stevie Donahue made me a jacket. It was like a hunter's jacket. So it had uh, it had like an electric blanket on the inside. So my wow. jacket had like these two batteries in the pocket. And like the whole thing would heat up. Are you serious? <laughs> and Stevie just made it? Yeah, Stevie made it for me. So uh, he would carry that around. But yeah, I mean, there's there's really nothing you can do other than realize that everybody's in that, right? And nobody mm -hmm. wants to play in that. Just as much as you're miserable, the hitters are too. So for me, I just found it always easier just to attack the strike zone. Like I knew I wasn't going to be throwing as hard. It was going to be 90 to 92 most of the time. And when I got later, it was 86 to 88. But if you just keep kept the ball close to their hands in the strike zone, you know, you get weak contact all day because guys don't want to, they don't want to break a bat. You know what I'm saying? They don't want to feel that vibration in that cold weather. So 
my my goal was to always just keep the ball kind of close to the hitters, but mm. in the strike zone. Not try mm. to nibble too much, not try to be out there having long innings, guys standing around, but uh, just try to get some swings early in the count with some weak contact. How about getting a, like a grip, see? Is it, I mean, how much harder is it in that weather or how much of an effect is it in that weather versus like warmer weather? Because I know even like Clark Schmidt was saying, and he was amazing last night. He was but, he was nasty. Nasty. But he was even saying like getting the fastball grip was harder for him than getting this, than being able to throw his breaking ball. Yeah, because he's yeah. Not, you're not on the seams with the fastball. Most of the time you grab the four seamer just across the seams and your fingertips rest on the leather part of the ball. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that makes it a little slick. And your thumb is on that part too. So you, the four seamer is really just, you know, you're just going across the seams. So you don't really yeah. grab the seams. When you're throwing your breaking ball, your two seamer, your fingers are on the seams. So you have something to rip off of. But when you're throwing that four seamer, um, it gets a little tough for sure. I've, for me, like, you know me, my hands are always sweaty. So it was just yeah. always me just keeping something like to keep my hands dry. So it was always, you always see me putting my hand in the dirt or wiping my forehead or doing whatever to try to just keep my hands dry. So that was the the biggest thing for me was just keeping my hands dry. You you think if you have the right mentality as a pitcher in that kind of cold, can it be an advantage sort oh, of? Oh, it could be fun, cuz. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The first couple years when I was in Cleveland, I would, I would like, get off the slow starts in April just because I would be miserable. I'd be like, why the fuck are we playing baseball in this weather? You know what I'm saying? Like, just pisses me off. And then yeah. I got I got to use it as an advantage. I'm like, yeah. these other teams are coming in here. Like, I'm not going anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is going to be my first month of my season, you know, for the for, for however long. Like, this, I just got to deal with it. So once I started figuring out that guys hated that shit more than I hated it, then I was like, all right, like, I can deal with this. And then I started having some good games in April. Did you? That's interesting. Did you do anything different, like, like yesterday, we saw Garrett at one point out in a long inning. Um, I mean, which the start of that game was just bizarre. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it was truly. I think through three innings, it had been like an hour and forty six minutes. So I'm pretty sure for the first three innings, like, and we saw him go out in front of the dugout uh, in the top of the second and throw, like in between. I guess he does that underneath sometimes too during long innings. But would you, in the cold, feel like you had to do anything extra? to stay loose when it came to just, you know, throwing in between innings or, or anything along those lines? If it was a long inning like that, I, w I, would, I wouldn't have thrown out on the apron in front of, you know, in front of the dugout. But I would just go in the, in the, in the tunnel down and grab balls out of the basket um, that the guys were hitting with and just throw, like, six to eight into pitches. Net? Into the net? Your yep. Okay. Just into the net. I wouldn't grab a catcher or anybody. I would just go in, go down by myself, leave my jacket on, and just throw five or six, maybe at the most eight hard as I can into the net and just start sweating a little bit, and then I'll go back and sit down. Got you. Who, you know, it's funny. I was, I even brought up on the broadcast last night Lance Lynn and the way he handled the heat, like with mm -hmm. the extreme weather. Is there anyone you can remember that, like, they come out in the cold, they're going like short sleeves and they're just like loving it and, and they're, they're just like fully embracing it, or someone who was totally paralyzed? By playing in the cold, and they were just like, "Yo, I can't. No, I'm not. Do I'm not doing this." I can't remember anybody who who didn't wear sleeves. Like I can't yeah. remember anybody on any of my, especially in Cleveland. You know what, Victor Martinez. 
Victor really? Ortiz, yeah, Victor never really wore sleeves. He would he would always just brave uh, brave it out in the cold. But that that come that wind coming off that lake is a lot different because in in Detroit <laughs> that wind that Midwest Chicago oh. like the Central in the first month of the season even Kansas City bro yeah yeah it is freezing. You go to Minnesota like the Central and just you know playing in that for seven and a half years you just get used to playing in the cold weather man and and. I remember the first time when it turned for me, uh, I was pitching against the White Sox. And, and like, I just remember the look on Jermaine Dye's face. He just did not want to be there. And I was <laughs> like, okay, like, uh, like that gave me some life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just seeing yeah. how miserable he was. And that just kind of pumped me up. And then after that, I just used it after that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Now you're like, okay, I'm... I may not want to be here, but I want to be here a little more than that guy. Then the hitters yeah. do. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, the yeah. hitters are just trying to find the barrel because they don't want to miss hit anything because yeah. then they're fucked for the day. So yeah. my job was just always just try to get a ball right off the end or right in enough just so they wouldn't, you know, take any more aggressive swings the rest of the day. Hey, you know, I mean, I remember even like in playing in high school, man, and and in some of those cold, you know, growing up in New York and, and some of those cold like April. And I, I can remember I was telling Booney yesterday like I can remember a tournament I had at Poly Prep in Brooklyn mm-hmm. um, in my senior year of high school. Maybe actually might have been my junior year, whatever it was, where we started at like nine a.m. and it was like one of the first weekends in April. Okay, and I, I, I remember being like, "This is the coldest I've ever experienced," and I could not <laughs> figure out. I was I had hand warmers that I had like put in my back pocket. And, you know, me being the just absolute, you know, total moron I can be with commonsensical things, I could not figure out how to use the hand warmers. And I'm like fidgeting around in my back pocket <laughs> trying to figure out just like all I'm feeling is texture. No warmth, no warmth at all. Just like this, these little things that look like they belong on the bottom of a chair. Like I can't, I could not figure it out, man. And you're like just trying to like concentrate during that. And this is like before the sun's up essentially, you know, uh, it's like, that's, that's oh. brutal. Ooh, you know what? It's, it's, awful, it's worse. It's worse in the cold weather. Like just sitting in the dugout. Like if I was just sitting in yeah. the dugout last night, I would have been fucking, that's miserable. Cause yeah. like, yeah, you sitting in the dugout, you got fucking 18 layers on, you got hand warmers, you got gloves, you got shit on your feet. You got the fucking uh, the heater blowing down there, so you can't hear what anybody's saying the whole game. Like that shit is the worst, and that's why I was in the, I was in the bed. I was like, man, I'm so glad. Like I don't miss that shit at all. Like pitching in is one is one thing. Sitting there in that shit is that's some bullshit, bro. I'm telling you. Oh my gosh, that's so funny, man. The heater not allowing you to hear. You can't hear either. shit. You're just screaming the whole game at everybody. Like you don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> You know, I'd be worried about that for my vocal cords. <laughs> yeah, you would. <laughs> that's not ideal. I, I, it is interesting, though, as a hitter. Like, I can remember even taking BP with metal bats, you know, on those days and being like, I do not. And this is, you know, this is high school baseball, right? But it doesn't matter. It's cold. It's cold. Yeah. You, you're just like praying you don't hit one off the hands or hit one off the end of the bat. And then when you do, and that sting just like reverbs, like, oh. It never goes away. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it doesn't. It's just like brutal. But uh, Cam was saying last night on the broadcast, like he was showing Judgy's um, batting gloves, and he was saying that they actually have 
um, oh, cold special weather. ones. He had yeah, the Franklin, right? Weather. The big thick. Yeah. The th- yeah. Those yeah. thick Franklin gloves are legit. Those are legit. Those help. I didn't know they made those, man. Yeah. They, they started making those about maybe like 10 years ago. And they're they're really, really good. They're like almost like scuba gear. Okay. Like they're really, really thick. They're good. I, I did not know they made those. Um, see, I want to ask you about just like April in general, uh, when you're when you're starting a season. Because one thing I think is like obviously everything gets magnified this time of year, right? Because it's it's the start of the year. And so if you have like if the offense for the Yankees, for example, had this kind of eleven game stretch where they've been, you know, very meek, to put it kindly. But it was in the middle of the season, and they have been performing well. You'd be like, you know, you kind of be like, oh, they're they're scuffling. But it, you're not saying you're not thinking it's maybe representative of what's to come, right? Yeah. Um, but at the beginning of the season, it feels different, especially coming off last year and and the way the offense disappointed. But then I also think about someone like Cole, right? Like Cole has gotten off to a really rough start. His his first three starts. I mean, you know, Tuesday night in Detroit through 46 pitches in the second inning. Most he's ever had in an inning. Most walks he's ever had in an inning. Tied for the most walks he's ever had for a game. You know, through three starts, hasn't been good. Now, if he was 10-2 and two and he had a three-start stretch like this in June or July or August, you'd be like, okay, that's weird for Garrett Cole, but, like, it's a little, you know, it's a little stretch, whatever. How much harder is it to deal with at the beginning of the season, see, mentally, if you're coming out of the gate slowly like i'm sure you had years probably right where your first few starts didn't go well like how much harder is it to deal with that at the beginning of the year rather than the middle of the season it is it's hard but like you just have to know yourself like i I knew i always got out to a slow start the years that i won games in april i'm like oh it's gonna be a good year you know what i'm saying the years that i got out to a slow start it's just a normal start but it, there is that little doubt that creeps in. It's like, oh, shit, like, am I going to be able to get back on track? Especially when it's at the beginning of the year because, like you said, everything's so magnified. And that's why I always hated pitching opening day, cuz. Because who gives a fuck about the first of, of 162? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm, I'll be ready when when it really counts at the end. Like, I, I, I never, never, ever, ever, ever enjoy pitching on opening day. It's just a really? lot of stress for nothing, cuz. Like, it's a whole bunch of stress for no reason. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, I'd much rather let somebody else handle that, and then I'll, I'll pitch the big games. But, um, yeah, I think everything at the beginning in April just gets magnified. Like you said, if this was the middle of May or June or whatever, um, you know, I don't think it'd be such a big deal. But because he's gotten off to a rough start, these first three starts, um, and, and it's it, – you know, what's a rough start? The other day he went five innings, gave up three runs, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think the first two he did, he's done that. And that's just – you know, kind of not not like him, but um, you know, yesterday was a little a little weird just watching him walk so many guys and you know be so wide of the strike zone. Um, especially like I said, I mean, he knows how to pitch in cold weather. He's pitched in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, you know, he's been a Yankee now for this. I think it's his third year. So um, you know, watching him be that wide out of the strike zone um, was a little weird last night, but. I think he'll be fine. I mean, it's a long season. He's got about 30 starts left. And, you know, I think if, if he gets back on track, this is just to be a little, a, a little bump in the road. Yeah, you know what's weird about it is, like, I feel like I should... I, I feel like it'd be reasonable for me to be a little more concerned than I am. But I'm not. I, 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 I know it was 
tough for him last night, and I know it's not been normal start for him, but Boone almost said sort of something similar. Obviously, he has a different, you know, vested interest than I do. But I, I like, I, I'm not concerned. Like, I still have this faith that, like, yeah, the next one is going to go out great. I think part of it, see, for me, is seeing him pitch like the way he did in the first inning, seeing how nasty the cutter looks, too, that he's added to the arsenal. Like, his pitches all look good to me. He still, even last night in in what was a really rough outing, he still had like 10 swings and misses over those two innings. You know, like he's, I, I don't, I, I don't feel like the stuff is not there to where it's like a, whoa, like what's going on here? No, you know? the stuff's still there for sure. Yeah, yeah, for exactly. sure. It's, I mean, it's a command. The velocity's there. It's the, it's the command. Yeah, that's why I'm not as concerned. But I was thinking, like, what is it like mentally to deal with that in April, right? Where you don't have the body of work yet from the season to be like, hold on a second. You know, I know. Plus, there is a different magnifying glass the beginning of the season and here with the Yankees, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, and if you have a big contract, you know, so which it's, you know all those things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always the beginning of the season here is different than any other place, you know? Yeah. Because it's the anticipation of you winning the 28th or where we are now, 27 or 28th. Like yeah, you, you got to get that. Yeah. yeah, so it's like that. That's always the anticipation in, in every April, no matter what the roster look like or who. You know what I'm saying? If if you on the Yankees roster um, and you wearing those pinstripes, the expectation is to get a championship. And yeah. you know everything is super magnified in April, and and it's not helping that the Mets are playing good on the other side of town too. <laughs> man, I know they're that off to a helping. great start. Man, they look good. They look really they look good. Good man. I, you know what? I think it's good. I think it's actually in the long term. I think it's good for the Yankees. I think it's good for baseball to have, to have the, the Mets, Mets be good. this. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, I, I always, I think it helps like push competition when your crosstown team is doing well. You know, I think it's, it helps everyone kind of keep earnest and, and keep on their P's and Q's. Not that you're not going to do that and be self-motivating, but I do think there's just something that helps heighten the focus when you look across and you say, okay, you know, same way where I think the Red Sox being good in some ways helps the Yankees, you know, yeah. like, because it, it helps keep you like, hold on a second. We can't, we can't take a step back. Well, to a lesser degree, I think that's the case with the Mets too. And if the Mets become this viable landing spot for an, an attractive organization, um, and they sort of rewrite, uh, some of the stigma of what they've been, I think that, you know, I think it's like a rising tide raises all boats kind of thing. If you want to make sure you're, you know, you're keeping up with your competition, you're, you know, you're still big dog in town. Well, it helps to be pushed. I, I don't think it hurts. And I think it's exciting right now seeing the Mets, the start they're off to, some of the talent they have, some of the arms they have, seeing Lindor get off to the start he has. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that like there is sort of this new culture around them. And they they do feel like kind of a an interesting story for baseball more broadly as well. No, and, and but this this culture shift seems real because it's Buck. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like they had culture shifts before, and they were changing. You know, from Mickey Callaway to Rojas, all these different people. But this this one feels a lot different because Buck is at the helm. I think he's the perfect manager for what they need mm-hmm. right now. They have talent. They're trying to win games, right, and maximize this window they have, especially with. You know, DeGrom, if he comes back with Scherzer, where he's at right now, you know, um, 
And knowing that they've kind of been on the brink, it's felt like, of having a nice bounce back, but it hasn't happened yet. And, dude, I could tell you just from working last year with Buck, it amazed me the things he would pick up on. Like, we would be watching, you know, the watching the Yankee game before doing studio, right? And Buck is like, he'll he'll pick up on something. He'll be like, hey, you know, no, like some, let's say um, guy pops out, right? There's runner on first, like nobody out. And then the guy flies out and he'll be like, hey, Ron, rewind that back. You want, I, want to sh- I want to show you. So you see this, you see this. And he's like, you see this, you see this secondary lead that he's getting? Like that is, yeah, okay. He flew out there, but that's a massive thing. This is him doing his homework because watch what's going to happen if a ball just like slightly gets away from the catcher. He's going to be in scoring position. Whereas otherwise, if he wasn't doing this, like he wouldn't be. Whatever. Well, sure enough, like something like that happens, we're able to roll it back or, you know, vice versa. But it was amazing to see the nuances and technicalities that Buck would pick up on. And look, I can see that if you were getting that, you know, every day, 365, 24 seven, that could be exhausting. But I also can see the value when you're trying to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it just like his acumen for the game and his attention to detail, dude, off the charts. I'm sure. I'm sure. Like, it, it was, it was something to behold, like the things he, and the passion for it, you know, mm-hmm. like, it's one thing to notice those things. It's another thing to like for it to literally sound like your day is going to be, you know, driven by the fuel you get from picking up on the nuances of, you know, somebody's secondary lead. (laughs) And that's, that's kind of the way it feels like with Buck, like that's the engine to his day. You know, this is the passion of his life. And I think that I love that. Like, I love passionate people. I love people who are, who have a, have a true love like that. His true love is baseball like that. And I, I do. I think it's good for them. See, I think it's the right time for the Mets. No, it's good. I mean, and like you said, it's, it's good for the city and it's good for the Yankees, too. See, the other thing uh, that's happened recently baseball-wise that, you know, it, it kind of happened while we were recording with Josh. And so we didn't, uh, which, by the way, if you haven't listened to Josh Donaldson on R2C2, go back and listen to that pod. He was just terrific. Great good. insight, right? Like great insight into his personality. I saw a lot of good reaction from that. So, so go back and check that out. You guys know, just make sure you're following us on Spotify or wherever you get your pods, new episodes every Thursday, and then bonus episodes as well. And go back and listen to all those episodes. Like when we had judge on in the off season or recently, Aaron Hicks, uh, Donaldson, C sat down with some big guys in Arizona spring training. Um, but see, Right during that, Kershaw had a perfect game through seven and doesn't come out for the eighth. Now, he ends up saying like he thought it was the right decision, but this is obviously extraordinarily rare. What? Do, how, how many perfect games in the history of baseball? 20? Three. I think it's 23. This is a ridiculously rare event. What did you think about it, see? What did you think about Kershaw not going out for the eighth? I thought if if I'm the player, like if it's me and I'm and I'm throwing the to the perfect game, I'm going back out, no matter what. Um, but if I'm managing him, him, managing him, and knowing you know the offseason that he had and it being his first start, I'm I'm taking him out. Sounds crazy, but it, because if if he goes into the eighth inning and he throws twenty pitches in the eighth, but he still got the the perfect game. Now he's at a hundred pitches. And you have to send him back out for the ninth. You know what I'm saying? What if that ninth inning goes 30 pitches? Now you're at 130 to throw a a, a perfect game, you know what I'm saying, in your first start? Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, as a manager, I would have took him out. But me as a player, like as a competitor, and knowing the history and knowing that Clayton Kershaw, if he don't throw another pitch ever, he's in the Hall of Fame. You know what I'm saying? That's me. I'm going for my perfect game. There's no way someone's taking you out of that game. No, there's no way. And, and the thing is, it's like, I'm not even trying to be funny, and I hope this don't sound like a dick, but like, what we saving them for, cuz? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, what, what, what are we saving him for? Because he's not fucking pitching deep in the playoffs. Like, they don't let him pitch deep in games in the playoffs. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, he's only going three, four, five innings in the playoffs. So, what the fuck we holding back for, cuz? Like, he could throw this perfect game and then not pitch again until fucking. October and then go out there and give y'all four or five innings. That's what that's all you're gonna allow them to do anyway. I always think about though, I think about the emotion from Terry Collins with Johan Santana mm-hmm. and going for the, you know, no hitter and And he was never the same after that. Mm, he was nope. ne- but the difference between Johan Santana and Clayton Kershaw is Clayton Kershaw is going to the Hall of Fame if he don't ever lace him up again from this day forward. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So it's yes. two different careers. It's two different things. He's got his ring. He's got three Cy Youngs. Like, I mean, it's just add to the resume. And and if he don't ever pitch again, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, that is something about it. Like, he's, he's got three Cy Youngs. He's got five ERA titles. He's been an Bro, MVP. He's, there's nothing else that he can be yeah, looking he's for got his other than series. a perfect game. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where I would have been at, too. See, unless, but the thing I can say is, you know, the fact that he kind of, like, you know, he knew. He was like, I wouldn't have. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have done it. Like, I wouldn't have gotten to the finish line there. That makes me think that he wouldn't. Because in order to do it, I have to believe that you have to have conviction that you're going to, right? So if he's sitting there like, I don't have what it takes to get to the finish line, then maybe it's not worth the risk, you know? Rather than, like, if you're sitting there seeing, you're saying, yeah, I shouldn't do this, but I can. I'm that's still going to try. Right. But that's different than saying, like, I can't get to the finish line, right? Like, now, you probably are still going to try no matter I'm what. I'm going to try no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, though, too, because he's like, he was at 80 pitches, too. He was, it was so efficient, you know? Like, he, but. It was, his, he was right there, bro. Like I know. It's so and, hard, And though. not for nothing, like, he's, he's 34 years old. Like, he ain't getting back to that. You know I what know. I'm saying? Like, I mean, I, I, we would love it for him, too, but, like. Is, I mean, is this stuff ever going to be like that again? It was cold in Minnesota. You know what I'm saying? It's just one of them days, guys. Like, yeah. He had the shit working. It was a cold day in Minnesota, and them cats didn't want to hit as much as he didn't want to pitch. <laughs> he didn't want to be out there. Like, it was the perfect combination, I felt like. Um, by the way, see, you were uh, right. 23 is the number. For what? La- perfect games? Yeah, the last one, August 15th, 2012, King Felix. Okay. That's the last one. Uh, the, have you ever been at a perfect game? No. I've never even been in a building with somebody through a no-hitter. Really? Never. Wow. I've never been. I've never seen a no-hitter. Wow. That's interesting. Not I in actually the big was league, at, anyway. I was at um, Heston from the Giants, no-hitter against the Mets, because I was there to watch Panic play, um, because uh, he... Uh, you know, he was with the Giants at the time. And so I had gone just to see Joe. Uh, Joe, Joe might have homered in that game. And really? uh, yeah, and Heston ended up throwing no hitter. I was like, oh, it's kind of cool. Like, I was more excited about Joe's homer, but I was like, 
Hey, and Heston threw a no-hitter. That's cool. I was in attendance for a no-hitter. Um, <laughs> hey, is your neck all right, man? You got yeah, a little soreness man, in your I, neck? I don't know what's going on, bro. I got to, yeah. to get right. I got some golf to play this weekend. Oh, man. You got to get a... Do you have a, masa- a masseuse on deck? No, I, I need it, acupuncture, I think. Masseuse yeah. I think I'm going to get this right. No, I've never done acupuncture. Oh, man. It's legit. Yeah, it's amazing? Yeah, yeah. I got to do it sometime. But. Yeah, a jacked up neck that can that can bang up your day, man. Oh my gosh! Yeah, oh, it, it's a it, it could be a problem. Like you, all of a sudden you're like, just like every time you turn, you gotta like shift your whole body. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Man. This, like, ain't, this ain't gonna be good for my golf swing. Yeah, no, no, it's just not. Got some new clubs too. I got some Mizuno irons, guys. Ooh, gotta get time to get you, locked man. in for the summer. Next level. I mean, let's be honest. You're gonna be by the end of the summer. You're gonna have broken eighty at some point. I hope so. I think you will. I think you'll have because would you would you last year you shot low eighties once or twice? Uh, no, the, uh, two weeks ago I shot eighty seven and eighty eight. Yeah. Okay. Last yeah. year I never I never shot under ninety two. Was the lowest okay. I shot last year. So maybe I might be a little aggressive with breaking eighty. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't know yeah. about this summer. Maybe next. I, summer. I, t- <laughs> I think this. I think this summer you're going to shoot eighty two or eighty three at some. If point. If I can get if I can get below eighty five, I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah, I'm, dude, I'm good right oh. now. I can win some money right in that, right in that range, like you eighty can. to eighty-five. Well, if you want to win money, though, see, you're gonna to have to let people keep score. And I saw how <laughs> vehemently opposed to that you were. Nah, I'm like, back. I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm in with the scorekeeping now. Okay, okay. So if we play this summer, yeah. you'll be down with the scorekeeping. Thousand percent. Okay. All right. Good. We we'll have to play again with the group chat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We definitely got to get out. I tried to get Nightmare out a couple of weeks ago. He was. I don't know what he was doing. This you know was, what? Uh, I I missed Nimer last night because I used to be able to text Matt and say, hey, can I get a jacket from the clubhouse, man? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 you know, I don't, I don't have Matt here with me. So, uh, but he's on to, you know, to, to big things. So we're happy for him in the agent world now. Uh, see, Brooklyn, uh, Boston uh, game two. Uh, happens Wednesday night, but game one is still lingering days later. There were just, I mean, first of all, it was an epic game, historic ratings, like historic ratings and um, incredible finish, obviously a gut punch for the Nets, but the reverb afterwards has lasted a while because of also what happened with Kyrie and the Boston crowd and all that. And I was like, look, we don't need another hot take on like, you know, well, what should Kyrie do? Should he should he just take it? Should he scream back? Yeah, and yeah. Everybody's had days of that. But what I did want to ask you, because you have a unique perspective of it, is, you know, what, I mean, what do you hear? What do you not hear? And it's different field court. I get that. But, like, what are the kind of things that you do hear? And are there things that you absorb in a way that makes you react and things that are more easily, you know, roll off your your shoulders so, you yeah know, how- it's it kind of just depends i guess like on what mood you in I, I mean you know there's some places where you hear everything like you go to tampa and you hear everybody um you go like i'm thinking about baseball you go to yeah, tampa you hear everybody you go to boston you're gonna hear you know it's it's so much noise that it's hard to hear one thing in boston mm. you know what i'm saying mm. um you go to a place like Oakland and you can hear everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just kind of depends on where you are and, and like, what can set you off. I mean, we're human. 
You know, it's it, it's one. It could be one thing. It could be, you know, I could be in Detroit one day and somebody calling me a fat ass, and I have no problem with it. But then we go to Minnesota the next day, and I'm warming up, and somebody, and then I have, you know, what I'm saying it just depends on whatever kind of mood you're in. Um, but the places that are the loudest, you never really hear one thing, which is a blessing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Whether it's Philly or Boston or you know, wherever else, when it's just a lot of noise all the time is the best places for, was the best places for me to play. When it was quiet and you could just hear one guy and then that one guy gets this other guy going. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. fans kind of feed off each other in that in that way when it comes to bullshit like that. So the 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 places where the fans don't show up, oddly enough, is where you hear it the most. I think Kyrie is just super sensitive to Boston. Like, the way it went down for him, the way he exited there, even, you know, to this day after the game, like, he still hugs those dudes for, like, five minutes after. I'm like, cuz, like, we know that you're cool with all the players there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's fine that you, if you could just walk off the court after y'all play now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, he has to let everybody know about his relationship with the guys in Boston. So he's sensitive to that city. So anything anybody says to him, he's going to be pissed off, whether it's on the street, or in the arena. Yeah. It, it's interesting because, and they also, I mean, Boston fans have a real vitriol for Kyrie. And so it's a, it, it, it's interesting though, like, because see what you just said is like, we're human. Like I, I do understand the, everybody can take it to a point, right? Like, and then there is a point where, you know, where you crack. You know, if you're Sonny Corleone, you crack a lot quicker than if you're Michael. But if you're Michael, there's still something that makes you slam the table and go, enough. You know, like. And and, I, and you just think about it, too, in the context of, like, Westbrook. Like, I mean, he was getting upset because people was, you know, calling him Westbrook and all these different things. But, like, I, I almost felt like he was seeking it out. You know mm, what I'm saying? Like, mm. he was going into every arena just looking for somebody to call. Like, he was more concerned about that than actually the fucking what he was doing out on the court. And you can yeah. tell by his play. So, like, he he let that be an excuse for him, I felt like uh, yeah. Russell Westbrook did. Yeah. Whereas Kyrie is just like, fuck y'all. I'm going to yeah. still come out here and score 439. I'm going to yeah. do my shit, but I'm going to let y'all know I hate you motherfuckers just as much as y'all hate me. <laughs> and and, and that's, what, that's what keeps it going. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, I feel funny. like Russ let it, he let that be the narrative of his season. Like, that's why things, things went the way they did. No, they went the way they did because you didn't play well. Yeah. Is there, what, for you, It like, was there certain things that, like, okay, that crosses a line where I feel like I have to say something? Like, I understand what you're saying of, like, one thing may bother you one day and it doesn't the next just because of the mood you're in. But yeah. was there any things that, like, like that crosses the line, and now I'm gonna say something. Nah, I never really cared. As long as you didn't yeah. call me out on my like an N word or all of that stuff. Like that only happened to me one time. Like I told everybody. But you yeah. know where I would get the most pissed off? It's like in the Bay, like in in Oakland, or like if I got heckled in San Francisco. I'm like, this is my home. Like I'll go, <laughs> like I go get my uncle right now in the parking lot. Come fuck you up. Like that. <laughs> like that's the type of energy I would be on. Like, cause who the fuck you think you're talking to? Like, I'm from here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, like, don't heckle me in fucking Oakland, cuz. Yeah. Like, I got a fucking parking lot full of goons outside. Like, <laughs> that type of shit used to piss me off. That's funny, man. I could see I, I could see you <laughs> saying exactly <laughs> no, that. No, I told a dude that. Yeah. I swear yeah. to God, I was down the line in San Francisco, <laughs> and I was running my sprints before the game, 
and the guy was giving it to me over the foul pole. And I pointed at my cousin. I was like, I'm go. I, I looked at him. I was like, go fuck him up. Just like that. <laughs> the two fucking took off. <laughs> he ran like, because oh you know, when I played in the Bay, I have a whole section of people there. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. That, like that shit really pissed me off. Like it would get under my skin more than anywhere else if I was at home, for sure. Man, that is hilarious. Um, see, how about uh, just looking at these NBA playoffs? And granted, we're recording Wednesday afternoon, so game two of Net Celtics will have happened, and we'll react more to this series as we go along. Um, but, you know, looking at some of the other series, like how about, what are the things that have stood out most to you uh, as we're through, you know, the first, you know, five, six days of NBA playoffs? The Warriors looking really good. And it's yeah. not so much the Warriors looking really good as, as it is like the Nuggets not looking like they should. You know what I'm saying? But is that uh, surprising to you, man? That the it's Nuggets not. It because, but it's, it's been years of this, right? Like you're waiting for Jamal Murray and then you're waiting for Michael Porter. And then if everybody can get healthy, like they can never really put it together. So it's not. But it is kind of because like, they got Jokic and they got Aaron Gordon. You know what I'm saying? Like they have a good team, but it's 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 uh it just it just falls apart for them every fucking April. And the Warriors look, they look brand new again. Jordan Poole looks great. Steph looks phenomenal. Um, if you can get anything from Clay, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it just adds to it. I think the Warriors look really good. It's surprising how uh how off Phoenix looks without Devin Booker. Yeah, um, yeah. You know. Which, which that's a, you know, that is, it's interesting just because if, he, now, he's had, ham, like, sometimes you see a hamstring, you're like, oh, that's going to be. A while. Yeah, four weeks, whatever. He has dealt with sort of, like, chronic hamstring stuff that he seems to be able to manage, so I wouldn't anticipate that. But even if he misses a game or two, all of a sudden, Phoenix is playing maybe, a six or seven game series against New Orleans, you know, and, and attrition, look, you can get through it, but attrition does also matter in these, in these playoffs. And if the Warriors are going to stomp their way to the conference finals and you're going to end up, or yeah, because what Golden State's the three seed, right? So they wouldn't meet until the conference finals. They wouldn't meet until the finals. But, but like, you know, and you're going to all of a sudden have to grind to get there. You never know if that ends up having. You know what's crazy, though? It, the, to, I mean, it's, this, if, the, if they play in the conference finals and Devin Booker's 100% healthy, I think Phoenix beats them. Yeah. I mean, well, I think Phoenix should be the favorites. Look, like, they've been, they were, you know, on the brink of winning the NBA finals last year, and they have been by far and away the best team in the NBA this year. Mm -hmm. And they have been able to survive periods of time without you know, different CP key and pieces. Booker, yeah. Yep. And even Aiton. And, yeah. You know, yeah. So, like, but, um, I mean, I think they should be the favorite. I think the difference is, see, like, I think if you would ask people pre-Saturday, they would have said, Phoenix, hands down, runaway favorite to win the West. And I think two things have at least made people feel, even if they feel like Phoenix is a favorite, maybe a little less conviction is, one, Booker's hamstring, just seeing, mm -hmm. you know, what kind of role it plays. But then I think even stronger than that, seeing how good Golden State looks. Yeah. Because, because there is also something about, like, playoff basketball is a different sport than the regular season. And when you get guys who know how to win and who are stars and are, you know, locked in on a mission like that Golden State team is, Draymond Green has talked about it all season. He said, we are winning this championship. You know, it's he, he has said it in, like, 
you know, I am manifesting this terms. Um, and now that they have those guys healthy, if they if Poole's going to play like this, and they're going to have Clay, Poole, Steph, Green on the floor at the same time, and then pick your fifth, that team is going to be a really hard really beat. hard out. Yeah, and especially yeah. in the seven in, in the seven game series, it's going to be hard. But you know what's crazy too is that Steph played so good in game two, and I was just thinking like the the years when they were really good and the years that they won championships, he didn't play that well in the playoffs, right? Like. He uh, he seems like he gets worn down, you know, gets tired, whatever. But like having sat the last mm. couple weeks and not, you know, trying to win an MVP, not chasing a seventy-three win season, not you know exerting all this energy, you know, leading up to the playoffs, I think may help him have a really good playoffs. And this may be his signature play. Like he's going to have to play like he did in Game Two, the whole six weeks for them to win a championship. You know what I'm saying? And if That's he does point. that, then people will get off his back saying that he don't perform in the playoffs and all that shit. He kind of needs this. And and if he can do that, you know, because he's rested, I feel like uh, it'll just add another, you know, another, like, level to his career. I, I feel like some of that, that scrutiny is unfair to him in the playoffs because a lot of times what would happen is, you know, he get to the finals or, or you know, whatever it might be, and people are going to throw two people at him every possession. He's going to make the right basketball play. Yeah. So like even that first title they win. And I remember Mark Jackson talking about the time. And he was like, look, Steph should still be the MVP of the series because Andre Iguodala keeps getting all these wide open corner threes because Steph is making the right pass. Right. So like the number one thing I think of with those Golden State Warriors championship teams is I think of a four on three with Draymond Green operating. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's a four on three is because Steph was blitzed or Steph was doubled and he's making the right pass out of it to Draymond Green in the center of the floor. And now Green's operating four on three. You know, if Steph is less unselfish, you know, maybe there's not all those other open shots for everybody else, you know? And I actually thought he should have won the finals MVP, their third championship, their second with KD when KD won the MVP where there's that shot where you could see Steph was clearly surprised he didn't win finals MVP like I thought he deserved that one um even if KD is the better player I thought in that series Steph should have won it uh but yeah man I I feel like I feel like Steph doesn't have anything to like I don't think he has anything to prove but I know what you're saying on like if there's anything left it's like yeah epic, no he don't have anything to prove yeah, yeah he don't have anything to prove um, I mean I just think that it would be great to, for him to be able to carry the team, you know, yeah. in the playoffs. Yes, 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 yes. And and he looked like a dude who could do that the other night. Yes. Like, how about Memphis, Minnesota now tied at one apiece? I have game four for that series Saturday on ESPN. Do you have any – Do you, first of all, it's just such a fun series. that The talent yeah. is – it's unbelievable, the, the young athleticism. talent. athleticism. It's like watching oh. NBA jams, guys. <laughs> it really is. Do you have any conviction in who you think wins that series or how far, let's say, Memphis might be able to go or anything along those lines? I think Memphis should win that series. Um, I think Memphis should win that series in, in six games. Um, and and it, they're so young that, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, see, them either, I don't see them beating uh, Arizona State. I mean, or Phoenix. Yeah. Um, but I do think that they can win this series. 
Yeah, it's interesting, man. I um I I think like Minnesota, you could look at and say, like, well, they're gonna have three of the top four players on the floor, you know, mm-hmm. like with Towns, with with Edwards, who's amazing. I mean, yeah, Edwards is. Is a, Edwards has a chance to be like uh a a game changer for yes. that franchise. Like um, MVP level yes. one thousand yeah. Yes, he's he he has that kind of ability. And then D you'd say Ja, and then those three could be the four best players on the floor, but it's always so funny because like reacting to game one, you know, but then like you see game two and you're like, oh yeah, it's a series. So I think I'm with you. I think at the end of the day, like, you know, even through two games, you'd still have to feel like Memphis is the favorite in the series. There's a reason they're the two seed, but, but I think Minnesota, like Minnesota isn't just like a cute story. Minnesota is good and they're, and they're going to get better and better. Like they're a, they're a legit interesting team to watch in the Western Conference. I I don't know what their next moves are, but I think this playoff run is a real big foundation for what they can be and keep building with what they have there. Because they've they've got something going on there. They do. They got some good pieces for sure. Yeah, they got some they good do. pieces. Just it'll be interesting to see them take the next step because it's yeah. almost like we talked about Denver at the beginning of the, of the you know we start talking about the playoffs and they're. This is what we were saying about them four or five years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like You're they right. got some good pieces, and if yeah, they yeah. so it's the same thing. I, I, you know, we got to see them take that next step. It's also why I think like this assumption of like, oh yeah, you didn't do it this year, you're going to do it next year, whatever. When you have stars, like, hey, yeah, exactly. You're shaking your head, and I know why. It's just you don't know. No, I even think about it with the Nets, man. It's like okay, this year it doesn't, it hasn't felt like their year, right? It hasn't the whole time. But I'm like, you know what? You still got KD and Kyrie in the playoffs, and you may want to try and take advantage of that because you never know. These other teams are getting better, you know? Like, Not even that. Yeah. You just don't know what's going to happen. Yes. Like, fucking yes. uh, six weeks ago, James Harden was on that team. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? So, yes. like, yeah. you just don't know the movement in the league and who's going to go where. So, yeah, no, there is no waiting for next year in any sport, cuz. Yeah. There's no, no. sport that, that you can – Say we're putting to next year. Period. No, no. Not if you got the why, players in place. That's why. Like I've even heard some people say, like, yeah, I think you know, I, I kind of like I, I was listening to um, Zach Lowe's pod with uh, David Thorpe, who's great coach, breaking things down, and he was saying like he almost feels like you could sense from KD's body language. This is before the series, but that KD's had moments of kind of like knowing, like, ah, this isn't the year. Like, and this was just Coach Thorpe's interpretation. I'm not co-signing that, but I was thinking like. You couldn't. You can't ever say that. Like, no. you can't ever. If I have Kevin Durant and I have Kyrie Irving, and they're healthy, I have a chance to win a championship. Yeah. I can never. I can never say like, well, you know, we really could use Joe Harris, or we really could use Ben Simmons, which are both true. Like, and maybe they end up getting Ben back. It's like, no, screw that. You got those two guys. Like, don't let go of the rope because all you are is like a break away from being able to win a championship, you know, yeah. and, and maybe next year you're not going to have both those guys. And then you have no shot, you know, like we saw last year, you know, last year, if you would have had them healthy, you would have won the title, and, but you didn't. Well, this year you do have them healthy. So like, don't just think like, oh, because you know what? The other thing is Memphis is going to get better. Golden State has incredible assets to continue to build around. If they want to trade a Wiseman or, you know, a Kaminga or those guys just develop, you know, around the guys there. They can't trade Kaminga. Kaminga's an animal. Cause. But see, that's what I'm saying. Like, so 
he, he either keeps getting better. My point is, like, they have young assets and they have a championship core. Yeah. You know, I, like. I'm, I'm not even going to. This is going to sound crazy. But I yeah. would trade Jordan Poole before I would trade Kaminga. Because, because I, cause I know I can get more on my return. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know yeah. people will go crazy to and trade me everything for Jordan Poole. And I know yeah. Kaminga's got that type of talent well, to and step look, up. And the good thing about Golden State is they have an owner who's willing to pay whatever to keep everyone. You mm -hmm. know, like, so he does not care about that tax bill. So, because um, some some teams are, you know, going to push push it to a point, but then be like, hold on a second, that dude's just going to go. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. See, I'm curious to see how the rest of this, you know, these series play out, but NBA playoffs are so fun, man. It's gotten off to such a good start. It is. It really is. It's a great time of year. Um, all right, you guys know the deal. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's R2C2. You can also uh, make sure you're subscribed to our new YouTube page. Subscribers are jumping. We want to keep that climbing. Uh, so uh, make sure you check that out. It's just YouTube, R2C2, and hit subscribe. Uh, and, of course, you got to be following us uh, where you get new episodes every Thursday and bonus episodes as well on Spotify. See? Um, enjoy all the games tonight. Uh, I'll expect at some point you to text Cam and me uh, during Yankees-Tigers. Uh, all right? I need, oh, I yeah. need a, no, I, need no, a, I was texting Cam last night. Oh, were you? Yeah. Oh, nice, man. Nice. Okay, good. Uh, were you giving him some uh, some feedback, some pointers? No, I was just talking about the game. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> Nothing right. we can say on the pod. <laughs> ah, got you. Understood. Understood. If only those conversations would be aired. Uh, all right, see, special thanks to Sadie Zillow, Bobby Wagner, our incredible producers, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Peace, everybody. Peace. Peace.